Right, g'day legends. Welcome back to another episode of the Sports Medicine Project. Blake and Kelly here. We're going to talk a couple of case studies today. We're talking knee osteoarthritis and then we're talking sesamoiditis. So obviously I'm talking sesamoids, Kelly's talking knee away. And yeah, let's rip in. You start us off, Kelly. Set the scene. All right. So my patient with knee osteoarthritis, I saw them for the first time about two months ago. Now, she, at this point when I saw her, had already been to her GP after three weeks of a really painful swollen knee. Mm. First thing the GP did was send her for an x-ray and told Mm -hmm. her she has a moderate case of knee osteoarthritis. And that was pretty much the extent of of their consult. There wasn't much explanation or talking about options. He Mm. more just said, go and see a physio. And that was the end. Yeah. And on like GPs don't get a lot of training around knee OA. Like their job, I think, is really to to rule out anything sinister and underlying, you know, and they're more of a generalist. So yeah, don't be too harsh on GPs, guys, when it does come to that. yeah, sorry. Yeah, Continue. and look, I'm glad that she came and saw me because she, her husband actually has had two knee replacements. Mm. Did the GP say to come and see you? They referred. Oh, yeah, sweet. Yeah, yeah, so the GP is a weapon. Yeah. Good job. Um, yeah, so her husband had already had two knee replacements due to knee OA. So, mm. of course, this, this um, woman's first thought was, I need to have a knee replacement. That mm-hmm. must be, you know, my, my destiny of where mm-hmm. I'm going with this. And that's, that's kind of what her thoughts were in terms of how she's going to get this knee better. Mm. Now, when I saw her about two months ago now, it was, it was initially very much a conversation about sort of where, where she's at now and, and what the plan is going to be. We did a few assessments, but... I think a lot of what she really wanted out of that initial consultation was just a bit better understanding of what's going on with her knee mm. and what are the options for her moving forwards because that's not really something that she had explained to her very well. And what's likely to happen and what she can and can't do. I've found they're pretty, pretty important questions. Yeah, yep. yeah, for sure. And, and also like a, a, a really good way to explain it, which just worked very well for this particular patient was, you know, there, there is certainly the thought of her knee uh, of like wear and tear and bone on bone mm. and, and all of those, you know, um, I guess harmful or negative beliefs that, that patients with osteoarthritis have. But for this lady, it was, it made it very uh, easy to explain the other way around, I guess, for her. So she had recently moved to Newcastle recently i mean like six months ago moved into an apartment in newcastle after previous living previously living on some property out somewhere and so she was telling me that she she was she can't understand why her knee hurts because she's doing so much less now than she was doing six months ago when she was living out on her, her property when she was living out on her property she was doing so much walking around maintenance gardening feeding the animals all of these things Whereas now she's not doing as much of that. She rides her e-scooter, uh, e-bike a little bit mm-hmm. and otherwise does a, a, a little bit of walking or a little bit of golf. So her, her workload or activity levels have decreased drastically. So in her mind, she can't make sense of why her knees sore now. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't sore when she was doing a whole lot more. Yeah. So for me, that made my job a whole lot easier because it, it was a big conversation of, look, work... Um, keeping yourself moving and keeping yourself really strong is really important in how we can manage NEOA a little bit better. So six months ago, when you were living on your property and doing a lot of the, the gardening and, and managing mm-hmm. that, that property, kept your knee um, a lot more sort of 
uh, well, it kept your body a lot more physically active. It kept your muscles a lot more strong, your, your joints more mobile, I guess we could talk about. Um, whereas now, when you're a little bit more sedent- sedentary, your capacity has, has essentially dropped. So your, mm. your knee's tolerance to load has, has also dropped. And potentially that's a reason why it's reacting the way it is. Yes. And that, you know, that sounds similar to when people, you know, runner would get injured and they have a week off. And then they jump back in and like, well, I've just had a week off. It should be better. But your the time you have off, your capacity can you know significantly drop. On that topic as well, I find, which I'm sure you did anyway, was was saying that you know the X-ray that that she may have got a couple of months ago. It's likely that X-ray would have been the same if she'd got it six months ago when she was on the property. I find mm-hmm. that to usually something that's quite motivating. And they're like, oh, it, you're probably right. It probably was like that. I didn't have any pain. So maybe I shouldn't pay too much attention to the x-ray. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, you know, it is important to get that imaging. I, I still think, I know you're not a huge believer in imaging. I send for a lot of images. Cause not I, for OA though. Cause oh yeah, not for OA. That that's what it is. Yeah. Is there anything that can you need to rule out? Is there anything that presents like OA that's like sinister? Or not really. Not, no. not when it's at that age demographic. And yeah. Okay, sorry. Continue, continue. Um, I don't know what I'm up to. You were explaining... Just talk about now... You were saying... Just you were explaining a couple of things to her. What did you do in the consult? Oh, yeah. And so she, she had quite a lot of pain. And her main thing was that she couldn't play golf at the moment because it was just too painful. So... That was, that was the ultimate goal, was to get her back to playing golf. And a mm-hmm. lot of our explanation was talking to her about, you know, building up her tissues capacity and, and getting a little bit stronger so that her knee is able to tolerate the, the loads and the forces of golf because that's what she wants to do. Mm. So at that point in time, she was not able to stand up and sit down from her chair without using her arms. It was Her, her legs were far too weak. We tested her knee extension strength on her affected side. She was pushing 12 kilos, which is really, really low. Mm. On her non-affected side, she was pushing 19 kilos. Now, that could be a reflection of strength. It could be also pain. But either way, that number probably needs to increase. She needs to get stronger. I read that knee center weakness is a risk factor for OA too. That study came out on BJSM. But yeah, Mm. continue. Yeah, totally. I I would agree for sure. Continue. Um, so what we did was we, we came up with a home-based strengthening program for her. The, the lucky thing with this particular patient is she, she said to me straight from the bat, like she's a strong believer in physios. She's been to them mm. many times before. She has had great outcomes and great <laughs> success. You don't usually before. get that. Hey, no, you don't what, get did, that, but what did the program look like? exercise wise just so basic i'm pretty sure it was just some sit to stand some calf raises bridges straight mm. leg raises like the real generic and basic stuff that you do did you because you obviously would have, i know you guys do our initials you would have went through the like these exercises in the gym yeah uh no i don't even think we went through them in the gym because they oh. were all oh inside in oh yeah in, in the clinic room yeah. how how did you choose your sets and reps because my like my bias is i i try and find where I think they're going to fail or maybe it's a little bit uncomfortable and then take a few reps off generally. How do you do that? Same for a sit to stand if it is painful. I probably, well, for her, pain was probably more of a barrier than Mm. than her capacity at that point in time. So it was more so around about pain and just trying to get her doing it frequently. So smaller um, 
doses, I guess, but regularly throughout right. the day. Three sets of six, two sets of five. What did you do? It varied for the each exercise. So she could maybe do like 20 of the hip bridges, but five ah, sit-to-stands. Good. She could maybe do, yeah. um, I think she could do like 10 straight leg raises and yeah. 20 calf raises. Yeah, so nice. it I- was it was more, and my goal, I guess, initially for this patient was probably less about building strength. It was more about exposure. So getting mm. her knee used mm. to some sort of light load, some sort of movement. So it's not reacting as strongly. Yeah. And you find that even, you know, I know we talk about here, you know, if you want to get strong, you need to have some load, you know, that's close to your capacity. But sometimes you find that if you just give someone something, you Mm. know, they'll come back the next week and they're exponentially stronger or they Mm. can exponentially do more. And it's like, you definitely haven't gotten stronger in this week. Either you've just desensitized to the movement, your, you know, capacity has increased, you're just feeling better. You have that self-efficacy so you can just do more. So... A big thing I believe, like that movement is medicine. And yeah. if you're stuck with something, just giving someone some movement can, can really help. Totally. And, yeah. and particularly for these conditions. And the, the next time I saw her, she was feeling better. So then we started to shift a little bit more away from just getting it moving. And, and we started to focus a bit more specifically on, on getting it stronger. Yeah, yeah, nice. So what before, because we want to keep these to about you know eight to 12 minutes each, what analogy did you use? to explain to her what knee OA is. I know there's heaps, you know, the biological scaffolding. Um, that's probably the only one I can think of, actually. Um, yeah, what, what analogy did you use? Because it's important. I love analogies. I can't remember. I, I, I definitely spoke to her. The, the biggest thing for her was about her tissue tolerance and capacity mm. building and the fact that her her capacity to, to tolerate load had decreased, which is mm. more so why she's expi- uh, experiencing the pain. And I tended to focus a lot more on that than about the, the NEOA. I, I probably mentioned that NEOA is a little bit like wrinkles on the skin. Like nice. it, it can happen to anyone and it's likely to happen as you get older. Yeah. But genetics is probably the, the bigger thing to blame rather than overuse, uh, than and, overuse wear and, tear. and wear and tear. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, and you can... Do you tend to throw that... <clears throat> that study or that statistic, you know, if we were to image, you know, a thousand people's knee, you know, I don't know what it is. Is it like 20 to 30 cent, 20 More. to 30 percent, say 40 to 60 percent, sorry, mm. would have evidence of osteoarthritis with no pain? I, I do like to use it. I found I don't use it as much as I thought I would, but do you tend to use that stat or statistic? It depends on the patient and how focused they are on the mm. x ray. So for, for this person, it wasn't so relevant. Yeah. She, she was more so focused on the. I guess the outcome and, and any other way around um, and, and near replacement could she's had seen would, yeah. her husband's yeah. experience. So it was a lot more about sort of explaining her pain to her rather than osteoarthritis in general, yeah. I guess. And you, you, yeah, you're right. Picking the patient because you can't, you definitely can't say that to everyone because some people are like, oh, are you just telling me that and saying the x-ray doesn't matter? I'm in pain. And I know, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about that with Dave on one of our previous episodes, but yeah, you can't use it with everyone. I've definitely mm. made that mistake. All right, great stuff. How did it end up? How did it finish Good. off? So I saw her yesterday. She was so excited. She was going to play a game of golf this weekend at, up in Hawks Nest. And she has no pain, minimal swelling, um, just feels a lot more confident with her knee now. So mm. it was really good. And she can, she can now do nine sit-to-stands before her muscles start to fail, not pain. Mm. She wasn't able cool. to do any at the start. Yeah, so now that she's better... 
what are you going to review her again? Mm, Six yes, months, so twelve plan, months, and why? Why monthly, then? Actually, so monthly. my plan is to follow up with her monthly for a little while and continue to progress her her home based exercise program. Mm. And then during our clinic sessions, we've also just been uh, I've been loading her up a little bit more and getting her to use some of the weights that we have in our gym, nice. just so that she can appreciate how much she can actually do and lift, and so she knows in her mind like when I have to carry these grocery bags yeah, up the stairs, I good. know that I can do I it. I like that. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I can see the other way of like, you know, if you've done everything right, they should have that self-efficacy and motivation, but there's no harm. And if they're happy following them up monthly, I mean, yeah. you're just reinforcing what you've already done. That's cool. Plus, yeah. you'll be able to get in a bit of dry needling haze <laughs> so you can reduce that that way, a bit of soft tissue massage. Myofascial release. Into that VMO. Mm. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about my case study. So my gentleman was a, a younger younger guy had towards the end of last year had been training for a marathon no issues no pain ran the marathon did incredibly well and then he flared up his sesamoid and it was his medial sesamoid so he had recently moved to newcastle i saw him at the start of the year he'd seen previous physios i'm not ripping on physios but he told me that the physio so it was his um it was his left he told me that the physio said it was his right glute that was causing that pain. And the fact oh, that... I remember you telling me about this. Yeah, and, it, and um, not the fact that he just ran a marathon. Couldn't be that. Anyway, so, yep, saw him. Very, very simple for me and, and anything with treating sesamoids is it's more the loading, I think, is really, really important. And did basically you the foot... his right glute? <laughs> I did look at some um, hip thrusts. Was his right glute weak? No, it was firing. Not activated. It was firing. It was firing. Um, yeah, so with anything sesamoid and really anything forefoot, it's not about the loading. And this is where we, where I work. We you know, work with a lot of physios and chiros and things like that. And we really try and educate... It's not about loading it like an Achilles. It's about unloading it as much as you can while still mm. keeping them functional. So I really say to patients, we just want to give the foot a bit of a cuddle. Yeah, so, that's something I've definitely learned from you. Yeah, so easily in the clinic, I made him a nice soft inner sole. I basically built a cutout underneath um, the sesamoid and then I put a forefoot valgus posting on there. So really means that it's just basically a hole. Did and you it's cut nice out and just under the irritated one or all of them? No, just under the irritated one. So it was, I think it was his lateral. Um, yeah, it was, sorry, look at it now. It was his, um, his lateral. So he'd had ongoing pain for a while and I was a little bit concerned that there may have been an undisplaced fracture because it hadn't gotten better and it was quite irritable. Like um, a stress fracture? More of just a fracture, rather. It could have been a stressy, but I was thinking more like an undisplaced. How would that happen? From the run? Yeah, from the run. So it would be a stressy? Well, I don't think it would be a stressy because you didn't have any pain leading up to it. I guess it could be, but, I'll, be. but I would expect a stress reaction to be painful first and then a stress fracture. He had no pain leading up to it. It doesn't have to be. Okay. What do you think is more likely? You can, have, you can literally have no pain and then you can just fracture a bone in a run. Yeah, so it doesn't mean it's a stress then. That's a stress fracture. It's a fracture. It's a, from a, a repeated stress, stress though. Yeah, it was. How do you know it was repeated? If you just landed on it and it fractured, that means every fracture on all, on Earth would be a stress fracture. So if I break my arm, that's a stress fracture. Is no, right? I think it's. Uh, no, I know. Because no, you mean, a, but, a stress fracture sits on the bony continuum. You, yeah, but you don't have to have um, stress reaction like pain before it. You can fracture a bone without as a. No. Yeah. 
So that that means every fracture. No, because it's due to that repetitive overuse. Like that. But it wasn't repetitive. He stood on it, and if he stood on it and then it fractured, that's an acute mechanism fracture. But you said it was from his marathon. Yeah, but didn't have any pain leading up to it. It just developed one step. So if you stand on it and then it fractures, that's a fracture. How you're not able to tell if there was any stress beforehand. But is there you know enough trauma there to it for it to just fracture without repeated stress before it? Well, you, you could argue stand. the same thing. Well, if I if I'm playing football and someone keeps bumping into my shoulder and then I fracture my ulna, that's a fracture. Well, that's a stress fracture. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying, but I think you're wrong. Yeah. Let us know what you think, guys. Yeah. Okay. So, I think you. I was concerned that there may have been a fracture. So I I got an MRI and it actually come back that um, it was a bipartite. No, sorry, actually, let me rephrase that. I sent him for an X-ray first, bilateral, and I it was coming up that it, it looked like there's a little bit of bony edema that they had reported on, but it was a bipartite sesamoid. So you can't really tell. You can kind of tell by if there's some cortical swelling or cortical... Um, What's a bipartite sesamite? Two. Ses- so it's in two. Is that a bad thing? No, it's just a genetic variant. Um, so couldn't really tell. Um, yeah, couldn't really tell. And I didn't want to miss something like this. So we got an MRI, come back, it was all clear, which was great. And he was improving with the Indosol anyway. But something like that, you know, you've got risk of avascular necrosis, that kind of thing. So I'm still happy I did that. And I just explained, I was completely transparent and said, this is why I want to do it. And, and if you're you're happy with that so that was no issue as well and obviously very lucky i consulted with one of the sports um doctors that i work with and yeah it was they had given me a little bit of they always give me advice but they had given me advice those are the things that get missed and then six months down the track they end up seeing them and and it's a problem so things are going well with the inner soul it already had a pair of of hocker bondis but when I saw him the second time, I said that it's going to be probably best that we look at getting you into a new pair of shoes. And if you're happy, because he wants to get back into running, spending the money and getting a Hocker Carbon X3. So the reason I wanted to do that, because it's a Hocker with a lot of cushioning, which is great. It's got that meta rocker, but it's also got a carbon plate. So we know that that carbon plate works really well at reducing the forces and the load through the calf and the ankle, but more importantly, through the first MPJ. So you get a real mechanical advantage. So I knew that as soon as he put that on with the inner sole with the cutout in there, that it would be great and he would love it, which exactly was the case. And I usually explain, because those shoes are a little bit thinner, I'll just say, go out and buy it, try and fit the inner sole. If it doesn't fit, that's fine. Just bring it back and I can grind it and modify it to fit in there. Because to be honest, I mean, yes, the inner sole is great, but I think the shoe is even better. So anything four foot carbon plated shoes work really, really well. And I use them all the time. What were you telling him in terms of his running load? Um, no, no running? No, no running so he, he also worked in a job where he was on his feet a lot um, and he was happy just back in the gym. So he's like, if there's, he said to me, I don't want to, sorry, I'm in no rush to get back into running. And I said, great. Like if you're not in a rush and it's not killing you, because we know most runners want to get back as soon as possible. And I know you and I have had this conversation. I think he can get better quicker if he's not running. And if he doesn't want to and doesn't have to, great. Let's do mm-hmm. it this way. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was in the gym. Well, doing for, for sesamoiditis, yes, but for other things, maybe not. Yeah, mm-hmm. for, for this one. For anything kind of four foot and fiddly. Um, yeah. yeah, so that was, it was going really well. So now I'm coming up to the third, oh, sorry, looking back, the third time I, I saw him, 
things were going well, slowly getting better, like, and I mean slowly. Uh, I think about a couple of percent improvement and we had three or four weeks between the second and third. Um, so I increased the valves posting and I also put a medial post in. So I basically built some material in through the inside of the orthotic and I finished the material just before the sesamoid. And basically what that does is it changes the peak ground reaction force from underneath the sesamoid to just proximal to it. So it unloads it a little bit. And that's why I, I really try and we try and educate, you know, physios and chiros and all allied health that we can have a really good effect with these fiddly forefoot um, conditions. Mm. Does that make much sense to you? No. Not really? I, I Like, yes, but no. Yeah, we just basically just build up around it and before it. Oh, yeah, that so, makes sense to me. Yeah, just so when you push... Like, the biomechanics of how that changes the peak force doesn't, yeah. but that's like if I, gonna make sense to if me. If you're, okay. if you're doing something right now and you put your finger down on the table and you bend your finger, mm-hmm. think of that joint as the first MPJ. If you put a pen or put your finger just before it and still try and push forward, see how it's not on the ground? Yeah, okay. That's what it does. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it, yeah. <laughs> which is cool. So it's not it's not normal biomechanics, but again, I, I explained to him, this isn't forever. This is just to settle it down, and we've got proof of concept. Would that change for walking versus running? It'll be less apparent in running because you're not able to modify it as much mm-hmm. in walking it. It's better. So, yeah, and he was switching that between his, his work boots, and I, and I said, I want you to wear your joggers basically religiously. Anyway, fourth time, saw him. We basically got a plan. I said, great, let's jump back into some gym-based stuff. Or, sorry, he was already in the gym. When I say gym-based stuff, I mean calf raises, slowly exposing him to hopping and jumping and things like that because we really hadn't been able to. Um, It had been too uncomfortable. So I gave him some hopping and some jumping, some lateral movement, some calf raises, not underweight, just single leg calf raises, and said, you test it and see how you go doing it in shoes or not in shoes because I know he'll feel better doing it in shoes. So that was going really well. Then we're getting to the second last appointment, come back and it was a lot better than what it was, but it was like a one to two out of 10. He got back into three to five K and it was just his fiddly little pain. Just, it wasn't enough to bother him, but you could just feel it in the background. And this had been now, when he first did it to when this appointment would have been maybe six, seven months. So I said to him, there's a couple of options. We can continue, because things are improving slowly, we can continue to monitor this and we can push it out to you know two, three months, still wearing your shoes, your inner soles, or we can have a consultation with one of the sports doctors or the sports physicians. And it may be possible that you might benefit for something more that I can't do, whether that be you know something anti-inflammatory, whether it may be injections, something like that. I'm not saying that you definitely will get that, but it's just worth, worth having a consultation. And that's how I'll... That's how I'll frame it. And I'll say, we'll bring someone else in. We know the diagnosis. Things are improving. It, it's just worth them having a bit more of a, of a look. Saw one of the sports sports doctors, um, had, a, had a cortisone, and I saw him a month after that. No pain. Completely gone. No issues. Feeling great. Back into running. I, had a, I think I had a week off. Back into running. Gym-based stuff. Yeah, completely back to 100%. And yeah, it was incredible. It was great. Um, I think I've been previously maybe demonizing injections, probably because I didn't know enough about them, but they definitely have their place. Thank God they have. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Um, and just that fiddly little bony ache, a bit of cortisone around there. It was good. So yeah, that was that one. Do you have any 
questions, how would you manage that from a physio standpoint? Because everything that I just did is real podiatry specific. Yeah, I wouldn't even try, to yeah. be honest. I just, I mean, I can understand. I understand that that's not something that I would be good at managing. I yeah. think there's better people to see that and, than me. Yeah, and like I, I've seen heaps that where people have just tried to load them or like weird midfoot second MPJ capsulitis and they've got calf raises and squats and like we were saying before, movement is medicine, but in those conditions, sometimes they just need a little little bit of help. Mm. So, you know, work or, or reach out to a, a good podiatrist somewhere. And I hope I cop some flack for this. I knew that if so he was young and healthy, I knew that this condition wasn't going to last a long while. I was very confident it wasn't going to last a long time. I didn't think he needed a custom orthotic. I think I could get the same effect with something cheap and easy and myself modify it. What do you think? Do you, have you seen any custom orthotics from other pods for these kind of conditions? No. Yeah. Do you have any questions at all? You didn't say anything. Yeah, because you were talking. Um, I no, I have not. I don't manage sesamoiditis very much. So how would I, you? And I, I can't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even try. There's not much that I would be able to offer them with where I'm working mm. right now. So there would. I would be. It would be a disservice to them if yeah. I. If you are okay, well, I'll answer my own question. I'll pretend I'm you. If I was a physio and I didn't have access to that, I would I would still give them because I know some physios have those little cheap soft inner soles. <clears throat> I would still give them one of them, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I know you can't modify it. Maybe yeah, give them one of them. I recommend a nice soft um, cushion shoe with a carbon plate, like the Hocker Carbon X. Um, even though Sorconi Endorphin Speed's not too bad. And yeah, I'd get them wearing their shoes all the time. I would load eye tape them because that helps a little bit to stabilize the midfoot, which prevents if they've got a flexible forefoot, but it prevents a little bit of that um, forefoot torsion. And I would also do some flash taping, which is where you tape just proximal to the first MPJ and then you tape over and then you tape at the distal end of the, the big toe and then you do taping down at like longitudinal and it prevents that first MPJ flexion. It's like turf toe taping. Mm-hmm. So it prevents, not prevents, sorry, it reduces that first MPJ maximal flexion, which in turn reduces the exposure of that sesamoid. So there are a couple of things that I would do. Can you do. teach them to do that themselves? Oh, it's pretty hard. You probably could. If yeah, I think so. So you could do that plus low diet, plus a good shoe, plus a soft inner sole, some anti-inflammatories, some bony edema. Um, yeah, that's what I think you could do if you're a physio. And then, yeah, work with a good pod and say, hey, this is what I've done. What do you What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything else? Any questions for me? No. That's it? Yeah. So, okay, cool. That's it. Done and dusted. Done and dusted. Great. So, guys, if you've got this far, good on you. Make sure to head over to our Instagram. Give us a follow. Ask us a question on the Instagram or, or anything like that. If you've got a case study you'd like you know, our opinion on or jump over um, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, leave us a review. And yeah, we'll talk to you guys really soon. Have a lovely week.